everybody. Welcome into episode seven of Fantasy Football Today, DFS. Everybody mentions bankroll management, but what does it actually mean? Let's find out. Frank Stanfield joined, as always, by Sina Jad and Mike McClure, who, by the way, is drinking canned water and is very passionate about it. This is something that this is a new phenomenon for me because I, I've never seen canned water. He, he opened it right before we started. He was pouring it into a glass. It sounded like a, a beautiful commercial for probably more so for like a cocktail or something. But Mike, I, I need to learn more about this. Canned water. What is up? Canned water. So I'm drinking water from the Alps. There are many other outfits that will can the water. The idea here is to avoid using the plastic, whether it's for recycling, saving the planet, and or potentially just not wanting to put some of those byproducts in your water, in your body. Uh, But it's something I love. I drink canned water every single day now. Hmm. All right. So this is new for me. See, I don't know. Are you are you have you ever had the canned water? Have you ever seen canned water? I know boxed water is a thing. I, I've seen that going around. It's like in a little it looks like a milk carton, but there's water inside of it. I've never actually drank it, but canned water. Interesting. I've, ne- I've never seen or heard canned water. And what, what, I, what I mean by heard is when he before the show, when he opened that what sounded like a beer or a soda, uh, it, it just sounded magical. And the fact that you can get that like that soda feeling, but you're really getting water, which is you know probably better for you um, with. Did you hear that little click at the same time? I, I think it's I think this is brilliant. I, I got to order. So I don't know where to get canned water, if I'm being honest. So, Mike, where do we get, I get the <laughs> I, I get this one from Whole Foods uh, right down the street here from me in Nashville. So this was an interesting debate. I've converted my girlfriend. She used to be like, why do we spend so much money on canned water, right? So each can is going to be, this is an expensive brand, about $1.25 to $1.30 per can. And she just went off about how ridiculous it was initially. I'm like, it's not any more ridiculous than us going to pay $12 to $15 for cocktails later tonight, right? Like one is arguably like, definitively not good for you. The other is arguably definitively good for you. Nowhere near the cost. Like I, I don't see the issue with paying a dollar 25 for water. All right. Well, where, where does my uh, refilling my, my little jug of water kind of fit in on the, the water spectrum? I think there's nothing wrong with it. Are you filtering the water of any kind? What is the original source of the water? Yeah. So I have a Brita filter. Okay. I don't know if that's good or not. It's, well, <laughs> judging by his reaction, he's no, kind of like, I don't want to say anything bad. You just keep rolling with your Brita filter. <laughs> I'm just going to keep rolling. Instead, let, let's roll with uh, some stuff that happened this week in the NFL. Some some injuries. We'll get you some updates here. And unfortunately, the big news from the weekend was J.K. Dobbins, who tore his ACL and will miss the entire season, which absolutely sucks because... He's an exciting player, 100%. I mean, in one of the more exciting offenses in the league, the Baltimore Ravens, they run, they run, and they run some more. I thought he had a chance to be a Nick Chubb light type of player this season for fantasy football purposes. That will not be the case. Instead, Gus Edwards looks like he steps in as the 1A running back in this offense. Justice Hill and Tyson Williams are also on the roster. And we actually had a report just earlier today from ESPN's Jameson Hensley that said Tyson Williams is the team's RB2. So, Sia, we'll start with you here. How do you see this backfield playing out? Uh, Do you think Gus Edwards immediately steps in here and sees 60 to 70% of the touches? I do. Uh, And it's mostly because, you know, before we we thought it was going to be J.K. Dobbs and Gus Edwards, a lot of people liked Gus Edwards just going into the season because – we, we knew he was going to get a large portion of the carries, not as large as J.K. Dobbins, but a large portion nonetheless. Now you don't even have J.K. Dobbins to share that workload with. So, of course, he's not going to get 80 percent or 100 percent of the carries. But 
he is really kind of their, their lead dog at this point. There's not really a 1A is what I'm saying. I think Justice Hill and Tyson Williams, whoever really becomes the RB2, even if they pick up somebody in free agency, I don't think anybody is going to be really digging into that that volume. So I think 60% is about right. And Gus Edwards, in his, also known as the Gus Bus, it's, it's one of the better nicknames, I would say. Uh, he's been very efficient in his career. I don't know if that's just playing alongside Lamar Jackson. There are stats and studies that have shown that playing alongside a mobile quarterback can help your efficiency as a running back. But that's been the case for Gus Edwards. 414 career carries. He's averaged 5.2 yards per carry thus far. And among running backs with at least 100 carries last season in 2020, Edwards was 10th in yards after contact per attempt. That comes according to pro football focus. So I do think that he kind of steps in right here. They could bring somebody in. I know, Sia, you you had the right call on Sony Michelle to the Rams. If Mark Ingram somehow shakes free from the Houston Texans, a reunion there with the Baltimore Ravens, I think that can make a lot of sense. But as of now, it looks like Tyson Williams is the name there, the number two for the Ravens. Mike, what do you think about this uh, rushing attack now? I actually think this can mean even more work for Lamar Jackson, who the first half of last season, he wasn't really running as much. It seems like they wanted him to pass more. But then the second half of the season, he really just kind of took off and started running. And I think we could see more of that Lamar Jackson this season. Yeah, I think it definitely forces Baltimore's hand there. I mean, the only scenario that it doesn't force Lamar to run more is in that 60-40 split with Gus and then the other two backs picking up maybe the other 40%. If one of those two backs with Justice Hill, if they emerge and kind of break out in a sense, I think that can change things. Otherwise, I think that if they're not ultra productive really from week one. I think that you do see a lot more of the mobile Lamar Jackson, a lot more rushing attempts. Uh, They're just going to have to be ultra aggressive with him. They wanted to kind of not necessarily baby it, but dial it back just a touch and ensure that he remains healthy throughout the course of the season. They're not going to have the luxury of doing that from week one. Uh, They're just going to have to play ultra aggressive with him. Uh, I think the other interesting thing is just will Justice Hill take a leap forward at any point? Uh, I think that if he does, this is the year, this is the point in his career where he has to kind of do that. Um, so he's going to have the opportunity. We'll see, you know, it's fresh year, new, healthy. We'll see what happens. But uh, I, I'm with you there. I think Lamar is going to be very aggressive uh, running the football. And Frank, if I could just add something, because I think since since Gus Edwards sort of emerged uh, after the JK, uh, the unfortunate J.K. Dobbins injury, there's been this conversation, well, Gus Edwards isn't as good as J.K. Dobbins. Well, yeah, no kidding. He probably isn't quite as talented as J.K. Dobbins, but we can't forget the context here. I don't think anybody's saying Gus is as talented as J.K. Dobbins. The, 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 the reality here is this is a team that ranked last in pass attempts last year. This is a team that rushed more than any other team in, in the NFL, 192 rushing yards per game. So whoever steps into that role with that mobile quarterback that we're talking about is going to produce, period. It's not about whether he's as talented as J.K. Dobbins. It's about the opportunity. And Gus Edwards clearly has a prime opportunity right now, uh, unfortunately, because of an injury. Week one, Monday Night Football Ravens at the Las Vegas Raiders. We'll have a nice showdown slate for that game. And I have a feeling, you know, Gus Edwards, Lamar Jackson and the like will be very, very popular on that slate. And rightfully so. Injury number two, Irv Smith had surgery to repair meniscus damage to his knee. There is no official timetable, but he will, quote, miss at least the start of the regular season with the Minnesota Vikings. Tyler Conklin is the next tight end on the depth chart. And he returned to practice on Monday when we are recording this. So that is good news for him. He has not appeared in the preseason yet because he was dealing with a hamstring injury. But he is $2,900 in week one. And he could be in play as a punt tight end 
option, assuming that he's healthy. We've seen that in the past when there's an injury to one Vikings Vikings tight end, they usually use two. We can see that other tight end really step up in the offense. So uh, I th- think that he'll be an interesting name there. Mike, what do you think about that possibility? Tyler Conklin as a punt tight end in week one. I definitely think it's a, a possibility. I think it's going to be interesting to see how they really divide the usage up early here and how long it looks like Irv is going to be out. Uh, it could mean a lot more for Dalvin Cook. It could mean a little work for CJ Ham as well. Uh, he's been in a, a few packages in the past. Wouldn't shock me if he gets a few of those. It just depends on how healthy Conklin really is and how long they think Irv Smith's going to be out. But uh, the issue that we have there is there's going to be so much value in week one. We already know that Pitts is cheap. We already know that there are strong tight end plays that it's probably not as of right now. Obviously, we're still a little ways away. As of right now, it doesn't really appear as a situation that you're going to want to invest in. Uh, I think it's just all systems go on Dalvin Cook. Yeah, I think that Tyler Conklin might make more sense for a week two, a week three, assuming that Irv Smith does miss a couple of weeks into the season. You mentioned the name. I mean, Dalvin Cook, he's 9,100 in week one. The Vikings are favored. There's a near 50-point total in that game against the Cincinnati Bengals. It's a good matchup. All the pass catchers on the Vikings right now are currently banged up. You know, they still have got about two weeks to get ready here, but... If there's if Justin Jefferson, Thielen, Conklin, any of those guys are limited, Dalvin Cook could just have a monster, massive week one. So keep that in mind, of course. Injury number three, T.Y. Hilton is expected to miss multiple weeks with a neck injury. And I know you guys already liked Michael Pittman, who is only $4,100 in week one against the Seahawks. However, the Colts are currently dealing with a COVID situation right now. Carson Wentz was placed on the COVID list, a few of their offensive linemen. So we have to make sure that we get everybody back. But... Uh, assuming healthy and the other wide receivers are there. I'm guessing their three wide receiver set will be Pittman, Zach Paschal, Paris Campbell. A name to pay attention to, just remember, Mike Strawn. And it's actually spelled Trachin. It looks like tra- uh, Strachan. It's S-T-R-A-C-H-A-N. But he's 6'5". He's out of a small school, Charleston. And he absolutely dominated there. And he's looked pretty good in the preseason. So just remember the name. Uh, see, anything else to add here on the Colts? pass catchers with T.Y. Hilton banged up? No, other than the fact that this is another high-scoring affair, at least that's what it's predicted to be, along with that Cincinnati-Minnesota game. So this will be a really interesting game to play in in the main slate because, uh, you know, especially on the receiver end, I think most people will gravitate to Michael Pittman, and all three of us like Michael Pittman this year, T.Y. Hilton notwithstanding. So I think it will be interesting to maybe hear how Paris Campbell and Zach Pascal might get incorporated into this offense because maybe you want to take shots there. I mean, I already want to take shots on the Seattle side. We've discussed that in prior shows. But I think which if you wanted to stack this game, and you wanted to maybe fade Jonathan Taylor or stack Jonathan Taylor with one of the receivers, the interesting moment will be which of those receivers do you decide to stack with? Because you you could certainly make the argument for Michael Pittman, but I think that's what most people will be doing. So the contrarian play is likely going to be to Zach Pascal or Paris Campbell. Yeah, and Pascal, I think, is a perfect example because he's just kind of boring. He's a veteran. He shows up. But whenever there's been an injury, he steps in and he plays pretty well. So Paris Campbell... Slot receiver. He's had some hype in the past. He's dealt with injuries, but yeah, I mean, Pascal, boring veteran type. I think he's a name to remember. Bankroll management strategy. Let's talk about this. Bankroll management can be synonymous with contest selection. We already did an entire podcast on contest selection. You can go back and listen or watch. That's youtube.com slash fantasy football today. But instead, I want to go more in depth on just bankroll management, not, not necessarily which contest to play. 
but how much you should allocate on a weekly basis, how to figure out how much money you want to allocate on a weekly basis for both beginners and even more experienced players because there might be experienced players listening to this who think they know, but maybe they don't. And I consider you guys experienced players, uh, much more experienced than I am for sure. Uh, so I'm interested to see what you have to say in that regard. First off, Mike, what? how do you define bankroll? How do you figure it out? Because we were having an interesting discussion before we started here and I would like to bring that to the table. So defining bankroll. All right. Can I define bankroll after? I want to chime in on that last cold situation go ahead, really go quickly. Ahead. Yep, yep, yep. I want to talk about the tight ends with uh, T.Y. Hilton out. They're just so cheap. Jack Doyle's 3,200 on DraftKings. Moali Cox, 2,900. In this game against Seattle, I do think that there's some validity to someone like Jack Doyle at 3,200. I think there's a scenario where he could approach 7 to 10 targets in this game. Uh, so it's something I'm keeping my eye on with T.Y. Hilton out and just this COVID situation that they've got going on. The timing might be disrupted just a little bit with the receivers not getting to prepare together leading up into this game. Uh, so it's just something I'm keeping my eye on there. All right. Now, bankroll management. I think the most important thing when you're talking about bankroll management is you need to either define your true bankroll or at least define your goals. So what I mean by that is I've had this discussion with people in the past. I've asked them, you know, what, what's your bankroll look like? And they'll tell me I'll have two to three hundred dollars to play with. And I was like, okay, so hypothetically, you lose the two to $300. What do you do next? Are you done playing DFS? And they all say, of course not. I'll deposit again. So if that is you, your bankroll is not $250 to $300. Your bankroll in that scenario is likely $600, whatever it is that you're willing to keep playing up to. So when you're figuring out these numbers, you need to come up with a rough idea. I know it's a difficult thing to do, but you need to come up with a rough idea of what the absolute limit that you think you could potentially not have anymore, right? Or you need to at least break the season down into four to six weeks. So give me a set bankroll for the first four weeks of the season. If I lose more than this in the first four weeks, I'm not going to continue to play the rest of the season, right? So the number one step before we can get into dividing up 50% here, 20% there, you need to make a really strong effort at defining what your true bankroll looks like so you can assign those percentages appropriately. Because if you're going to continue to deposit, 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 all of a sudden that 25% that you're investing in tournaments looks like one to two, 3%, right? So you need to get serious about that. Put some pen to paper if you have to, but try to come up with something. If you're new to it, do like I said, try and break it down in four week increments, right? That That's my best advice. That's step number one. Yeah. So I was just going to follow up there. You think four weeks is the best rather than maybe just looking at the season from a macro level and saying, okay. And again, always, I think first and foremost, like play within your means. And, you know, it seems obvious, but obviously everybody has different like disposable income that they can use to, to play here. And again, it comes down to your goals, but obviously play within your means. You don't want to play more than you actually have or can afford to lose. But you think looking at it in four week intervals is better than maybe just a macro, like, hey, I'm going to devote $1,000 to the season. This is how I want to break it up by week, something like that. Yeah, I think it is. And the reason for that is, is it's, say you want to devote a thousand to it for the season, you know, look, it's, it's a game that is a lot of fun and you can get sucked into it to the point where you can go through that number really quickly. I think it's more appropriate and, and you might start to love it. You might financial situations change throughout the year you know, your success, you see certain things, uh, you know, you might have more success early in the year. So you have week one, 
you win a tournament or finish in the top 1% of a tournament, your bankroll triples or quadruples overnight, you need to reassess things. So I think that it's appropriate to break it up into small chunks. One week is obviously not enough. For me, I, I personally think that the four week is really the best and most appropriate usage. And the reason for that is we talked about earlier, like we play a little bit more cash games early in the season because they're a little softer. There's a lot of new people, a lot of new money that kind of dies off as we progress throughout the season. So we kind of break the season up into those weeks. Anyway, it's around the fourth week when some people come in and have started to lose money. They're starting to redeposit. Some of the players are falling off, no longer playing DFS anymore. So there's different cycles throughout the year. So for many players, uh, unless you have a, a massive bankroll been playing for years, I do recommend breaking it up into those and kind of mirroring those cycles that we see. You've, you watch the lobby in daily, like on FanDuel and DraftKings, you watch the lobby, you'll notice contest sizing starting to get smaller about week four. You'll you'll notice things start to trickle off. And that's just simply due to the demand of people wanting to play the game overall. So if you search up bankroll management, you'll stop, stumble across this 80-20-10 rule, which is a general DFS rule where you play... 80% of your weekly budget on cash games, 20% on GPPs, and you typically don't play more than 10% of your overall bankroll. So that's where the 80-20-10 comes in play. So let's say that you have $1,000 total in your DraftKings account. Using this rule, that would suggest that you have $100 to play with on a given slate. Let's just say week one. 80% of that is going towards 50-50s, double-ups, head-to-heads, and the other 20% of that is going towards GPPs. Now, I don't know if this is just a rule that everybody follows, anybody follows anymore. See, do you have any thoughts on it? 80, 20, 10. Does it make sense? Is it outdated? What do you think? It makes sense, but it might be a little outdated. And the main reason is because, and I love the four-week interval thing, too, that Mike talked about, because what you really want to do if you're really trying to manage your bankroll you have to be realistic because you can set parameters all you want. But I, the, the the normal DFS player, if they're going to set a parameter for the entire season, for example, you know, just like Mike said, you know, things things can change. There's fluidity to, to what happens. And, you know, three or four weeks in, oh, oh my gosh, you've you've sort of done something where uh, can you even play the next, you know, 12 weeks or whatever. So I for, for the four week interval, let, let me start there because. Let's say you had a thousand on the season you, that, that you wanted to spend on the season. So if you did it in a four week interval, I mean, I know we have an 18 week season now, but let's just pretend it's like 16 weeks. Okay. And so you have $250 to spend in the first four to five weeks. Well, you can manage that a lot better and a lot more appropriately in a four week interval than you can manage a thousand dollars in a 16, 17 or 18 week interval. And by the way, if you do great, well, that's great. You have a little bit more to, to spend, but if you do poorly, let's say week one and week two, and you, you leveraged between 60 and 70 bucks because that's what the math comes out to. Well, that means that, you know, weeks three and week four, you know, maybe you want to just be a little bit more skittish. Maybe you want to just, just, to, just to be able to maintain that $250 bankroll. And if for some reason you spend all 250, maybe you take week four off and, and you just pause and you reassess and week five, you jump back in. So I, I do like the realistic nature of having a bankroll that goes in four-week intervals rather than, or five-week intervals, whatever, three, four, five, something that's realistic and short. As far as the cash game rule, 
I think 80-20, and this goes with the sort of realism of, of what an expectation should be for your casual DFS player. I don't think most DFS players want to play 80% cash. So I think you have to give them a more realistic number. And I think somewhere between 50 and 70% is a more realistic number. Let's settle on 60%. So if you're spending 60 or $70 per week, that, because that's what your bankroll is, then okay, what does that mean? You spend $35 or so on cash and you spend 25 on GPPs. And it's very easy to find the cash games and the GPPs that fit within those sort of parameters. You can play plenty, whether you're playing the $1 or the $3 or the $9 contest that Mike spoke about last week. So that's how I would approach it. I don't think 80-20 is super realistic. So I'd probably go 60-40. Mike, I'm going to throw a few your way. Do you have any personal rules like this? Because I assume that you're, you're playing with a bigger bankroll. So do you have a rule for yourself where you're not spending over 10% of your bankroll on a given slate, whether it's a showdown slate or a main slate. And then the other question there is, it goes back to the cash games. When we did our contest selection podcast, we were about that like 50, 60% range, which Sia just brought up. But you know, this general rule, 80, 20, 10, I, I don't know what you feel about that. So uh, overall, your, your cash game selection, thoughts on this 80, 20, 10 rule? Um, and do you spend more than 10% of your bankroll on any given slate? First off, I definitely do not spend more than 10% on any given slate. Uh, that number is actually closer to about two to two and a half, three percent um, for me. Obviously, that math, you know, it works out differently for everyone. Yep. Uh, you know, if you have fifty to a hundred thousand dollars to play with versus a thousand dollars to play with, you know, just like many things in life, when you have the thousand dollars, you're gonna have to take a little more risk, right? You just unfortunately are. That's just the nature of what we're doing here. So yeah, for me, never more than 10, really, for any reason. Um, as far as the 80%, I do think that's extreme in cash right now. If there were weeks to play 80%, it would be week one, two, three of the season. Um, I think that if anything in those first three weeks, I don't know that I would recommend allocating 80% of it directly to cash. I think I would feel more comfortable with simply playing a greater percentage of the bankroll in weeks one or two and three, and then kind of tailing it off to that normal number. Um, Cause I, I think that you definitely want tournament exposure in those first few weeks. Um, I think for a lot of people listening to this, I, I do think that 50% is probably a good number anywhere from 40 to 60 again, depends on your goals. So if you want to like, when you have that bankroll, right, is your goal at the end of the season, like, are you okay losing that money with the hopes of potentially making a lot of money? Or are you more on the other side of playing it conservative? Like, I'd like to not lose this money at all. I'd like to have a nice sweat. I'd like to have the chance of turning my 1,000 into three, two to 3,000 by the end of the season. But, you know, I'd love to just not lose any money and get that sweat every week. You have to kind of decide that. If you play 80% cash, 20% it's like that, there's a pretty good chance you're not going to lose your investment. There's also a pretty good chance you're not going to make significant gains on that investment either. So you really have to, again, define those goals, define that bankroll. Uh, but I think for the majority of people watching this, I, I would say 40% in cash and 60% kind of spread out you know, across single entry, three max entry, and then of course the large field tournaments. Um, I, I think that they're, those games play so differently in terms of payout structure and the rules that I think that it would be incorrect to just call them GPPs and group single entry and three max in with something like the Millionaire Maker uh, because they're really more of like a hybrid cash game anyway. Um, so I think that that's important when I say, hey, only play 40% cash, 60% tournament. I do not mean play 60% just directly into the Millionaire Maker. I mean, distribute that 
appropriately, uh, and you're going to have a lot better success. All right, so let's let's play a little game here, Sia, and I'm going to throw a loaded question your way. Let's help out some of the beginners. If you were just starting to play NFL DFS in week one this season, what would you do? What would your goals be if you were just starting? How much would you deposit? I know this changes for everybody because it's within your means and how much you want to play, but let's just say you were starting. First time ever, week one, NFL DFS, Sia Najad. How are you going about it? What are your goals? How much are you depositing? Okay, so just to make it easy, let's say I'm depositing $100, and let's say I'm going to do 50% cash games, and I know that's a little under the number we discussed, at least a little bit, but 50% cash games in 50% tournaments. So I would probably, with $100, I would find, you know, probably four to five, or maybe... Yeah, I would probably, as a first-time player, I'd, I'd want to probably spread myself a little thin across tournaments because I'd want to be able to, you know, I don't want to accept $50 into one tournament and, and have that be my barometer of, of whether I was good or not. So maybe I would pick 10 different double-ups and I would put $10 in each. And I would have probably similar lineups in all of them, but because it's my first time, I'd probably, you know, mix it up a little bit. So I'm not entering one lineup in, you know, one main stack, for example. Let's use that Cardinals example. Not all five of them are going to have Kyler Murray with DeAndre Hopkins and a run back with, you know, pick your receiver, A.J. Brown. So I'll mix it up a little bit, but, you know, I'll make sure my stacks are correlated. And that's something, again, we talked about on an, on an earlier show. I would probably pick a few games out, especially for cash, where I like the projections and I like the game script. And I would just focus on two or three of those games to really get my shares out of. And then I would use the other $50 for, for tournaments. And to Mike's point, I might enter one in the $5 Millimaker, just one. Just for fun, because I want to say I was a part of that. I have $45 left now to enter some three maxes, some single entries, and I would probably try to enter, you know, one one or two $15 tournaments and, you know, a $10 tournament, whatever it is. So in total, I have five cash games I've played, five double ups, and I have somewhere between four and five GPPs. And, and the good news there is I can see how I'm doing in the GPPs, but at least I can also gauge how I'm really doing in the cash games. Cause it's really hard to tell yourself whether you're doing well or what, wh- whether you're doing poorly when you play a tournament and you finish, you know, in the 45th percentile, you, you might say, well, I just did really poorly there, but in the cash game, you, you doubled your money. So that's a, a much better barometer in terms of, Hey, am I good at this? Do I need to change my process? How much should I be tweaking it? So the, the, the moral of the story is spread it across pretty thin, find a, a group in both cash and in, and in GPPs. And, Make sure you find some games. You can look at projections. You can watch shows like this, but find some games that you like and correlate those games so that you have, you know, the right the right things moving for you on both sides of the ball. Now, I don't think this is going to happen because I have faith in you, Sia, but let's just say, hypothetically speaking, you lose all $100 in week one. You're depositing 100 more in week two? I mean, if it's me, uh, I, I probably am. But that goes back to the question of what your bankroll is. Yes. I mean, I, I genuinely don't think, unless you're a brand new player, if you're a brand new player and you deposited $100 week one and you lost it all, you might just walk away. And that's perfectly understandable. But you know, most people who have had some experience with daily fantasy, whether it's in the NFL or not, they're probably putting $100 in thinking, let, let's just see how how this this goes. And then I'll you know reassess after this week. So if it's me, I'm probably depositing either another hundred or I'm depositing enough money that will sustain me for like three weeks. So if I'm doing like what we talked about before, $60 a week, maybe I put in 180 
for the next three weeks and just kind of see where that goes. That does, I don't want to assume I'm going to lose every single week, but at least I know I, I've got some breathing room there. Yeah, same question to you, Mike. We talked about how assessing a season maybe in fourths, right? Or looking at the first four or five weeks and then going from there uh, and then kind of figuring it out later on in the season once, once things change, contests change, the field is different, so on and so forth. But if you were just starting, and, and look, it's way different now than eight, nine, ten years ago when you first started playing DFS, what would you do? You're just playing NFL Week 1 DFS for the first time this year. How would you go about it? Uh, I would start by listening to the FFT DFS podcast, first of all. (laughs) And then after that, I would head over to Sportsline, make sure you use a lot of the data over there as I will be sharing a lot of my content, projections, all of that over there. After that, um, you know, if we use the same example of $100, it's going to be very straightforward. It's going to be 50% in the cash games and then the other 50% divvied up across the the tournaments. I think the only thing that I want to talk about here, the answer is going to be very similar to what CA gave you. The only thing I want to mention and talk about here, though, is I see a lot of new players, you know, social media is very influential, right? We see a lot of players that want to max enter contests. And I want to caution that you can do that. And I actually recommend doing it. It's a really good learning experience. If you go to DraftKings, you can enter a game for 25 cents. On FanDuel, it goes all the way down to five cents. DraftKings might even have a five cent game as well. There's nothing wrong with going to those games and practicing your large, you know, entering lots of lineups. You might learn that you're going to become a lot better tournament player than cash game player through the process of exploring that and doing it. So I think it's fine to go do that. Don't think that you need to go do it in the Millionaire Maker is all I'm saying. Even if you have the bankroll to support it, right? You're brand new. You're coming in. Say, hypothetically, you've got a couple thousand dollars you want to play. If you wanted to, you could go stick the 10 to 20 lineups in the Millionaire Maker just fine. And you can do that if you want to. If that is you, but you are brand new to DFS, I really want to encourage you to go play the $1 and max that out. Go play the 50 cent game and max that out. It's not a sport like baseball or basketball where you're only looking at a thousand to two thousand dollar payout if you hit this and win. If you go look at the contest lobby on DraftKings, the one dollar tournament has a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar prize pool in it. Like these tournaments are absolutely massive at those stakes. There's no reason for you, even if you even have the bankroll, to go in there and go try to play those while you're learning. Go max this out. Go really teach yourself and learn. Watch what other players that are winning are doing. That's the best recommendation that I could make there. But as far as if I lost everything, would I play again? Absolutely. Uh, when I say break it down into three to four weeks, I I need you to be comfortable with whatever you're playing. If you lose it week one, you lose it again week two, you lose it again week three, I need you to be able to enter the exact same amount on week four. If you cannot do that, you're playing above your means, simply, in my in my opinion. Uh, based off win rates, based off of all the data that I've tracked for almost 10 and a half, 11 years now, um, you need to be able to have, you know, if we go back to poker term, we need at least four buy-ins here, right? Uh, if not, you're setting yourself up for failure and it's not something that I would recommend doing. So make sure that whatever it is, the answer is yes. I'm hundred percent buying in again for the same amount next week. And you need to set it up in a way that you can do that for the fourth week at least. And on DraftKings, you mentioned FanDuel has the five-cent games. DraftKings does have 10-cent games. So if you want to go all the way down and, again, 
enter mass multi enter your lineups, whatever, and, and kind of track that and see how you do. It's a good way to do it, obviously, at much lower stakes at only 10 cents. So it is something that you could do, but just be re- realistic, play within your means. I think those are probably two of the uh, biggest pieces of advice that we can give you. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, I have a few more random bankroll slash contest selection questions for you, and then we'll hit on some preseason week three winners and losers. We'll do that next here on Fantasy Football Today DFS. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, so I got some questions for you guys, and let's start with this. When do you know when to increase your stakes, right? So should you set goals there too, where you deposit $500 and you're saying, okay, I'm going to play this over the course of the first five weeks of the season. Do you wait until you get that up to 750? Do you wait until you double it? Or if that's even a realistic goal before you increase your stakes, how do you know when to do that? What do you think, Sia? I, I'm really curious what Mike's answer is here, but I'll give you a real-time example. I mean, well, I shouldn't say real-time, but an actual example from, from I, I can't remember what week it was, but I came in second place in a big single-entry tournament, and it was a, for a decent amount of money. I'm not a guy that throws thousands of dollars around, by the way, on a, on a weekly basis. I wish I was, but but it just so happens that I'm not. So I, I think I got like a 7500 or or like a $10,000 return uh, uh, that particular week, and, and that was a lot of money. So I did sort of raise my stakes a little bit, but I wasn't going to just suddenly jump into, you know, you know, three hundred or five hundred dollar head to heads because I had a, a big bankroll. So I picked out a couple more GPPs that I wanted to play, but and and I raised the stakes a little bit on some of the GPPs I played. But it wasn't some massive um, change. It wasn't like I was playing the same tournaments. I was just adding a couple more, essentially. Mike, how do you know? How do you know when to increase your stakes in DFS? The answer to that question is going to depend on how disciplined you are with all of your play to begin with. Uh, you know, if you're someone who's in consistent numbers each week in terms of the percentage of the bankroll or at least in the same neighborhood, then you'll know. If you're someone who, for some reason, you were playing 50 bucks every week, one week you decided you liked a contest, you liked your lineup, you played $300 and you turned that into 10000 that's a situation where you need to step back and reassess like, okay, was I just on the right side of the variance this week and that is why I won? Was there a scenario in which I should have lost when I increase the stakes like that. It also depends on your goals, right? So is your goal, was your goal for the season to make a few thousand dollars? Are you pulling some of that profit off of the site? Is it no longer in your defined bankroll? You need to understand that. You need to define what those funds truly are. And then I think another thing is, again, if you're disciplined, right? So say you're disciplined, you're going to play 10% of your bankroll. That number should change every single week, right? 
So if you have a defined bankroll in the account, that is 10% that you're going to play. The results from the week before are going to dictate whether that's $100, $84, $116, $250, whatever it may be. Now, if you come into a large sum of money, obviously that changes significantly. At that point, you do have to, again, ask yourself, has what I've been doing a sustainable process? Was I on the right side of variance? Did, you know, what happened? Why did I win this game? After the first few weeks of the season, you'll really have a good idea as to whether the process that you're using, whether it's a process that is likely going to be profitable throughout the course of the season. Uh, but the, the, the best answer to that question is you will know if you're disciplined. If you're not disciplined and you're throwing random amounts of money around because you like a lineup more, you like something more, I would not recommend jumping up in stakes rapidly uh, as it's likely not going to be something that's sustainable for you. This is going to sound very cheesy, but hang with me here for a second. DFS in ways can kind of be used as as a metaphor for life because, I mean, you should be self-reflecting, right? So every single week, and this, again, this could be used for anything, not just DFS, but like your your job, your your family life, whatever it you should be self-reflecting and kind of realizing, okay, well, what's working, what's not working, what can I build on? What what you know, what do I need to work on? So on and so forth. So I think that that's a really good point. And again, it could be used for anything, not just DFS, but um, I, I think that that makes a, a ton of sense there when trying to figure out how much you want to move up in terms of your stakes. Uh, a random question there too, just follow up real quick, Mike. You mentioned you normally two to three percent of your bankroll on a given week. You're not ever going to spend more than ten percent. Well, do you ever find there that there is a slate that you like more than others, where where everything's just kind of feels right, everything is fitting perfectly? Do you find yourself maybe increasing your bankroll or or your percentage of bankroll you're spending on a given week then because you like a specific slate or a showdown slate, whatever it might be? The, the answer to that is yes. Uh, still would never exceed the 10%, but I, I'm playing ultimately very, very conservatively. Um, I think when that happens is when the contest structure changes, right? So there'll be certain buy-in levels of a millionaire maker. There'll be certain levels of certain contests throughout the year that have different rake, have different, you know, at some levels we have overlay in them. In those situations, because I'm playing so conservatively, yes, I will essentially end up with twice the amount of money in play because the contest structure structure is either really good or there's going to be some overlay or there is a unique situation, whether it's related to the weather. And I think I have a great read on which players I should be playing or when popular players are there that I, I know based on my data that I need to be fading. Uh, that typically will also pop up in a showdown slate where I'm very confident in an injury situation, a backup, um, you know, that's where it happens the most, but it does happen. It's not generally because I like a lineup and like, oh man, this lineup went together well because I'm the computer is building almost all of my lineups anyway. But what it is, is like I said, the, the contest structure changing, the overlay, um, unique events like the weather, but it's not a situation where it's like, oh, I got Cook, Adams and Kelsey in my lineup. I love it. Let, let's go smash it. Right. Uh, that that's never really a scenario that happens for me. And by the way, Frank, just to interrupt a little bit, go ahead. You know, the, the opposite can be true as well. There might be a slate you don't like. And I only point that out because we're talking about bankroll management and effectively what we're talking about when we're, when we're suggesting that you should have bankroll management is that you should have discipline. And so there might be a slate where it's just, it's not making sense. Like you're not liking any of the games or the games you like are all chalk and you don't know who to pivot off to and, and all this, like if, 
you can always, if 10% is your rule, well, test your own discipline and maybe spend 5% that week. Maybe you still want to dabble because you don't, you know, you still want to play DFS. But I think those like little like nuanced exercises in discipline can really teach you whether or not you are an actual candidate to have bankroll management and whether you're actually disciplined, because I think those things are necessary to, for you to kind of check yourself and be like, hey, I don't have to spend the same amount every single week. No, I think that's a really, really good point. And what I was going to ask you next is uh, it's pretty random. It's It doesn't really have anything to do with what we were just talking about. But have you noticed, Sia, any advantage when entering contests earlier in the week versus closer to when games are starting. Maybe there's a specific uh, tournament, a GPP that's available earlier in the week. Do you, not that you're setting your lineup, but you're reserving an entry. Have you found any advantage in entering those contests early or maybe some that you find an advantage entering them later on? What do you think? I don't, I don't know of an advantage, uh, Frank. So, I mean, I usually like to go in and reserve my lineups early in case I forget, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday roll around and I, I've sort of forgotten. So I, I, you know, Tuesday or Wednesday, the tournaments I always like to play, I usually like to reserve those. I mean, I will say that I, I like to play a lot of the afternoon slate. So I play the main slate, of course, but I like to play a lot of the afternoon slate too. So I might jump into those contests late. Um, I don't really, I can't really recall like many overlay situations where I, I got a big advantage there, but I, I'm just kind of pointing out that those happen to be contests I joined late, but for me, I, I don't know of any sort of particular advantage one way or the other. Mike, is there any type of advantage in terms of entering contests early, maybe reserving entries earlier in the week versus later in the week? I mean, I, I don't think so. Not anymore. They're kind of used to be, but not, not really in this day and age. Uh, I think that the Biggest benefit you could say as a benefit is simply the contest filling, right? So you have, say you want to play a contest at a certain price point, you're going to want to play the main tournament most likely because it's going to have the most upside in terms of the highest payout if you're right. What you don't want to have happen is you want to, you're, you're the $3 player, the $9 player. You don't want to wait until 15 minutes before the slate locks. You're in version number three of the contest. You go take it down. You win $2,000 when you would have won $150,000 because you didn't play the main contest, which is the exact same structure, exact same entry fee. That That's one spot where you're likely at a disadvantage. The same could be said on the other direction, though, just because of the difference in the number of players in the contest. You come in, you know, you don't take it down and win it, but you, you might win that third or fourth version of it where you would have finished 15th or 20th. And because they're so top heavy, you would have had a worse payout. But generally speaking, that's the only thing I can think of that really hurts you uh, there. Um, Sia mentioned something else that I want to, I'm sure we'll talk about it later in the season, but I think it's a great point. Uh, you mentioned playing afternoon slates. So I love playing afternoon sites. I love playing showdown sites. It's changing on the showdown sites because there's more and more content in the industry for them. Initially, there really wasn't as much. In the afternoon sites, there's not a lot of content in the industry for afternoon-only slates, right? That's going to be one of your highest sources of edge uh, that you have there. If you can find some content, whether it's from us, you take the processes that we're teaching you and go apply them to those slates. But the average person out there through large networks, are they're not getting content for that slate specifically. And I think that it's really, uh, really beneficial. And I think there's a big edge to be had in those games. Have you guys found a similar edge in playing early only versus afternoon only? For, for me, no. I, I The edge I found is, so, I mean, I'm sure the edge exists, but but I, I prefer the afternoon slates personally. What do you think, Mike? Yeah. 
I would prefer the afternoon slates as well. It just also gives me a little bit more time. So I'm focused on the main slate, uh, not into tinkering with a lot of the, those things last minute. So overall, I mean, it's look, I'm using a computer to play for the most part. My data is all plugged in there. So it's doesn't make much of a difference for me. However, I want to be realistic about it and know that not everyone is going to play that or be able to play that way. Uh, if I had to recommend one or the other, I would certainly say I want you to play the PM slate and not the AM only slate. See, we just brought up self-reflection and ways to look back at a slate and maybe figure out what you did right, what you did wrong. I know a lot of people like to track ROI, also known as return on investment. Do you have any type of things that you do yourself as a DFS player that uh, would define self-reflection? Or, or basically, how do you do that? Do you track ROI? Do you do anything like that? Throughout I don't season. do it. Yeah, I don't do anything formal in terms of like keeping a spreadsheet on on my 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 gains, my return on investment. Um, I, I have a pretty good idea week to week of how that's going, but no, I don't. I don't like really produce a sheet. But to your other point, uh, I do like to go in and see what my good lineups like. What and Mike kind of brought this up uh, a few minutes ago. I like to diagnose like why my lineups were good. Is it a product of variance or, or was my build? Am I just kind of building in the right way? Am I? And there's so many ways to do that, which we've talked about over the last few weeks. But it, it, if if my process is really good it, or if it's really bad, I like to kind of go in and see, okay, this team did poorly. Like, what did I do wrong? What trap did I fall into? Uh, it could just be a product of variance that way too, in terms of a, a lineup that didn't cash. But I like to go in and look at the lineups and the construction in particular. Mike, do you have any specific tips when it comes to self-reflection and maybe tracking ROI throughout the course of the season? I mean, it's going to come back to the same tip, and I know it gets annoying to hear me say this, but it's probably because it's really important. You're wasting your time trying to track the ROI if you're not playing consistently and you're not using a lot of discipline. Because if you're the player that's playing $50 one slate, $300 the next, 20 the next, 200 the next. It's really, really, really difficult to track the return on each one of those individual investments like that because they're, it's just not the way that you should be doing it. Uh, so if you're not someone who's like at the point where you're consistently like me, for example, unless I like absolutely win the millionaire maker, I'm not changing my stakes. Even if I, I win a $20,000 contest tomorrow, my stakes are going to stay the same throughout the season for the most part. So for me, it would be okay. It makes sense to go in and like really fine tune and track everything meticulously. If you're someone who's, you really think your stakes, you're brand new, your stakes are going to change rapidly throughout the season. I think that you're better off understanding and looking at that, you're better off putting that energy into diagnosing is your process with actual lineup building and contest selection in general, is that on is, is that locked in? Because that's going to be a far better use of your energy. All right. Enough with the game theory. We've talked a lot about it. A lot of strategy here throughout the course of August. It's coming soon. Week one is right around the corner. So it's going to be fun to actually, starting next week, we're going to break down games, stacks, specific players that we're looking at, situations that we like as well. But uh, let's just take a look, quick look back at preseason week three. Majority of teams did not play their starters, but there were a few that did. And we can we might have some takeaways from that. So see any winners that stood out to you from week three of the preseason? Josh Allen. Josh Allen's one that comes to mind. I mean, he looked really good. And not, not that that's like a gigantic surprise, but they do look like they're they're kind of operating, you know, at, at mid-season form, at least for the snapshot that we saw. So we know the Bills are kind of contenders in the AFC, but they're certainly contenders as well for your DFS stacks. And, you know, Josh Allen, you know, Diggs didn't play, I don't think, but we... 
even, you know, th- there's guys I like on that Buffalo Bills team, like Gabriel Davis, for example, that I think will be a, a great DFS ad week to week or at least some weeks. So Josh Allen, uh, Teddy Bridgewater J- and Jerry Judy, I-, I think is an obvious one. Um, Teddy B being the the starter actually probably helps Judy, but I think Judy probably would have gone off anyway. Um, obviously, Gus Edwards. And, you know, Sam Darnold, I think, is a really interesting one. I really like this receiver core. And it's not because of the guy everybody's talking about, Terrace Marshall. It's really because of Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore and Terrace Marshall. I think Darnold has a shot, even week one, to do some DFS damage. So we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, revenge game, week one against the New York Jets. And the Jets have suffered a ton of injuries already to that defense and some really big names too. So Sam Darnold could have the motivation there. And obviously it seems like it's going to be a pretty good matchup. He has great weapons. As I mentioned, those three wide receivers and the best pass catching running back in the NFL in Christian McCaffrey. I will just throw out there as well. Cortland Sutton made his return to preseason. He was back on the field. He played in that game and actually caught a touchdown from Teddy Bridgewater. So I thought that was encouraging to see as well for the Denver Broncos. Mike, any winners from preseason week three for you? They're awkward winners because they could be losers depending on what the uh, the coaching staffs decide to do. But for me, it's going to be the quarterback situations in San Francisco and New England uh, because the, the, the rookies look good, in my opinion. And they kind of played them as committees there. Both of these teams, the way they're set up, and both of these coaching staffs, I wouldn't be shocked at all if we see quarterback by committee out of either one of these teams heading into the first week. If we don't, I think Mac Jones... I think he gives the Patriots a better chance to win than than Cam Newton. And that might be a hot take, but he's obviously lacking experience at this point, but that's really it. Uh, I would not be shocked at all to see Belichick use both of them uh, in week, even as early as week one here. And the same could be said for the 49ers. Um, Other winners. I do agree. Josh Allen. I agree with Teddy Bridgewater um, and and Judy at this point. Uh, I've, kind of mentioned in the last show or two shows ago that we were very high on Jerry Judy overall. Going to continue with that. Um, But yeah, really the the rookie quarterbacks here, I think we can mention Trevor Lawrence in there. I mean, it's a lock that he's going to play and start, obviously, but I I think he's a real deal. I think he's 100% ready. I think he's going to be great. So uh, yeah, that's where I'm at on it. Yeah, they traded away the Minshew mustache to the Philadelphia Eagles, so he will be backing up Jalen Hurts for this upcoming season. Trevor Lawrence looked awesome. He was playing up against the Cowboys backups, but we needed to see something. So he threw two touchdowns in that game. And one of the winners for me was LaVisca Chenault. And I'm not going to put too much stock into what he actually did in this game. Three receptions, 33 yards and a touchdown. But he is the most healthy Jacksonville wide receiver right now. Marvin Jones dealing with a shoulder. I still do like Marvin Jones quite a bit. But Chenault is the most healthy and he's playing out of the slot. And there is actually data that shows that slot routes and slot targets are more uh, productive from a fantasy perspective than just targets on the outside or anywhere else on the field for that matter. So LaVisca Chenault has ran 25 of 37 snaps out of the slot this preseason. I think that is a pretty nice takeaway for him. Tyrell Williams, which no one wants to talk about Detroit. I get it. I still like TJ Hawkinson quite a bit. I think there's going to be a lot of volume, but he did not play in week three the Lions made it obvious they were not going to play their starters in week three. So we know that Tyrell Williams is the guy and they cut Brashad Perryman here on, on Monday when we were recording this. So I think Tyrell Williams, say what you want about the guy. Is he talented? I don't know, but he might get a lot of volume in the Detroit Lions offense. I don't think their defense is very good. They have a good offensive line. It's a very weird team, the Detroit Lions, but Tyrell Williams could see a lot of volume this upcoming season. Last one I wanted to mention, Mecole Hardman started in two wide receiver sets and 
I don't know if this is they're doing a rotation because one week he didn't play in two wide receiver sets, but this was with the starters. And he started opposite Tyreek Hill. Two wide receiver sets, Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback. I thought that was pretty encouraging for me, Cole Hardman. Some losers. See you, who you got? Let's see. Losers. I mean, there's the obvious J.K. Dobbins, which we already went over. I mean, Andy Dalton's definitely a loser because I, I, I shouldn't have said it like that. <laughs> you're, you're so mean, I, see ya. I, I, I shouldn't have said it like that. Uh, for purposes of this question, Andy Dalton is definitely a loser because, you know, as much as I value the experience versus the rookie who, who really has no NFL experience in Justin Fields, I, it's it's hard to make the argument. There, there comes a point where it's hard to make the experience argument when it's pretty clear that Justin Fields is already playing better. Now he's now is, is he going to be able to read defenses week one, week two? That that you know obviously defenses and defensive coordinators aren't exactly mixing things up in the preseason. So I think Justin Fields is is going to have a rude awakening if he actually starts in the first few weeks. But at the same time, Dal- Dalton's just not doing enough for me um, to to really think that he deserves that job. I'll give you two more. Um, the Bills backfield. I just I just don't see any sort of DFS or year-long value in Zach Moss or Devin Singletary. I, I think anybody would probably agree Zach Moss is, is more of the talent there. But I think the Bills are just going to be inclined to, to pass the ball again this year. And, I, and I, you know, you're getting split carries as it is. I don't think you can lean on any of these guys. Last one here, the New York Giants. I just think they're a mess. I think they did poorly in the draft. I think their offensive line is a mess, and they decided not to cure that. Uh, with you know bringing Kenny Galladay in instead of maybe a, a tackle and you know drafting Kadarius Tony instead of maybe trying to get uh, the offensive line fixed, I just think they're going to be a mess this year. Which means that there might be some guys like Sterling Shepard, who we talked about a couple weeks ago as as kind of like a weird winner that I had. But I think guys like that might might be pretty good from a DFS standpoint. But the Giants in general, uh, not I think they lose. Yeah, Evan Ingram is dealing with a calf injury now as well. Saquon Barkley still working his way back from the torn ACL last season, did not play in the preseason at all, and there's a chance he could be limited early on in the season. Offensive line just looks like a mess. Everything I've read, I've read a recap today that said uh, their their left tackle, Andrew Thomas, was, quote, a revolving door. That, that does not sound very good for the Giants' purposes this upcoming season. Mike, any losers for you in Week 3? No, I mean, I'll just mention that same thing that I mentioned for the winners. Um, you know, it's those two quarterback situations, 49ers and the Patriots. I would not feel comfortable any comfortable with any of the four quarterbacks involved there. Others than that, I mean, it's just the obvious uh, Dobbins situation, Dalton. I, I think we've mentioned them all. I do agree with Sia on the Bills' backfield as well, though. Uh, I really don't want any part of either of those guys, and they're not necessarily going to be priced as ultra value plays in DFS anyway, because they have had a little tiny bit of success with the team being so good last year. Anyway, Uh, I I don't particularly see that being a situation that you're going to be able to invest in outside of maybe a showdown slate. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. The bills are just going to pass and they're going to pass and Josh Allen is going to run when they get down near the goal line. So it really does limit the upside for uh, the bills running backs this upcoming season. For me, I, I was right there with you, Mike. It's this 49ers quarterback situation where they're openly saying they're going to use a rotation. I don't I don't think that I buy that. I mean, are we going to see like one series for one guy, one series for another? Or are they going to just have Trey Lance come in in, in the red zone and or the goal line and maybe run uh, some read option stuff? Maybe. I guess there's a possibility. But as a Jets fan who watched Tim Tebow come in randomly throughout times when he was with the Jets, uh, I can tell you that a quarterback rotation definitely does not work at the NFL level. So I'm interested to see what happens there. That'll do it for Mike and Sia. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Football Today DFS. We'll be back again on Thursday with 
our overall process. What does a week look like for us leading up to a specific DFS slate? Players and situations we like, we're targeting, or we're avoiding. We'll do that again on Thursday. See you then.